Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. My name is Leah M., Recovered Compulsive Overeater, and your moderator for this morning. Today is Sunday, February 19th, 2023. The share ID numbers for Friday, February 17th are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,973. That's 19973. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 19,974. That's 19974. This morning, A Vision for You presents Body Image and the Destruction of self-centeredness. The 12 steps as outlined in the big book represent a process of spiritual awakening, an inward rearrangement that actually transforms us. We have a profound alteration in our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, toward ourselves, and towards the world around us as a result of our new spiritual condition. The AA 12 and 12 reminds us that each of us has had his own near-fatal encounter with the juggernaut of self-will and has suffered enough under its weight to be willing to look for something better. What is that something better? The big book tells us. This is the how and why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. On page 14 of the big book in Bill's story is a passage concerning victory over our disease. And it goes as follows. Simple, but not easy. A price had to be paid. It meant the destruction of self-centeredness. The self-centeredness of our compulsive overeating, of our trying to control other people, believing that we always know what's best for ourselves, the world, and everyone around us. Many of us experienced self-centeredness as a preoccupation or intense focus on overcoming the negative aspects we perceive our body to have. Self-centeredness can be the root of the inordinate amount of attention given to one's body as the sole determining factor of one's worth. Through the implementation of the 12 steps, We can be changed. Ideas, emotions, and attitudes, which were once the guiding forces of our lives, are cast to one side, and a completely new set of conceptions, ideas, and attitudes begin to dominate us. We have been taken out of the world of selfishness and self-centeredness into a spiritual way of life, And a new world comes into view. 
Joining us today to elaborate on this very topic is Melissa C., a beloved member of A Vision for You, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Melissa is dedicated to our 12-step life, to helping others who trudge this path, and of course, that includes carrying this message of recovery. And it's with great appreciation and always a pleasure to welcome Melissa C. to the line. Good morning, Melissa. Oh, good morning, Leah. That's a really beautiful introduction, and um, I'm really happy to hear your voice this morning. I've missed hearing your voice, um, so it's good to hear you and be introduced by you. Um, my name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York, and, um, you know, it's funny to be talking about this topic and just to kind of give my, you know, quick qualification, like what even makes me have any qualification to speak about body image and be on a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Um, I have been um, in the grip of this disease for as long as I can remember. I have had a preoccupation with food and, and, and my body, you know, because you know, the damaging effects of being a compulsive overeater um, showed up in my body. And I was always at war with how it looked. <laughs> you know, I wanted to look like a model and eat like an animal was basically what it was. And my body didn't allow me to do that. Um, and I could not consume enough. And, you know, when I came here um, into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, I came repeatedly um, and at the last time when I came, I was done. I just, I was done. I can't explain it any other way than that. Um, and I, um, and I followed the directions, you know, that were laid out for me in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that were shared with me from wonderful fellows on this line that just said something in a new way that my ears were ready to really hear it and receive it. And so I've been relieved of my food addiction, um, of this horrendous um, problem that I had with the food where now it just doesn't seem to exist anymore. Um, and I've been relieved of over 160 pounds. So I've been at a normal body weight, a healthy, normal body weight um, for a number of years now, which is nothing short of a miracle. Um, so I'm going to jump in with... Um, a paragraph uh, from a story um, on page 355. The story is entitled, It Might Have Been Worse. And it starts like, you know, there's, this is the paragraph. Vanity and a critical attitude are character defects that gradually creep in and become a part of his life. Yep, that was me. Vanity and criticism, being very critical and it creeped into me, it was like ran through my veins, it was a part of who I was. Living with fear and tension inevitably results in wanting to ease that tension, which alcohol seems to do temporarily. So it seemed like living with the, the fear and the tension and the dissatisfaction and the vanity of the effects of my compulsive overeating actually kept me eating, right? It, it, nothing so much as soothed the pain of morbid obesity as Ben and Jerry's. It made no sense, right? 
it took me some time to realize that the 12 steps of AA were designed to help correct these defects of character and so help remove the obsession to drink. The 12 steps, which to me are a spiritual way of living, soon meant honest thinking, not wishful thinking, (laughs) right? So being honest about the purpose of my body, what my body is meant to do, and not wishful thinking, right? Open-mindedness, a willingness to try, and a faith to accept. And that meant, they meant patience, tolerance, and humility, and above all, the belief that a power greater than myself could help, and that power I chose to call God. And that, again, comes from the story, it might have been worse. Um, So image, what is an image? And I've got some, you know, definitions here. Um, An image is a representation of the external form of a person or a thing in art. It's the general impression that a person, organization, or product presents to the public, and it's public perception. So usually when people talk about body image, they're referring to their own opinions about the appearance of their external form. Um, they want re- to present <laughs> their external form in a way that they have decided is beautiful, right? It's beautiful and worthy, um, and they're at odds with the way that they view themselves, and they want to feel better about themselves and more confident and comfortable with their bodies. And this is usually mixed with thoughts about how to improve their physical appearance. And there's often a back and forth between attempts to have acceptance of themselves and attempts to fix themselves, like like it goes back and forth. And, you know, what I would say is that for those people who love us, you know, or who have relationships with us, um, when we're focused on our body image, it's like walking in a minefield, you know. And so I, I've got this funny funny story to sort of tell and because I think, you know, my husband's perception of me talking about my body image would probably be very different from my own. And so here's this here's this story. A number of years ago I was um getting dressed and I looked at the the loose skin of my upper arms and I was complaining to my husband about um, you know, I don't really like to go sleeveless because my arms are very jiggly. I've got, you know, the effects of having been morbidly obese, right? You could see it in my arms. And I was telling my husband that um, I know that there's a surgery for it, um, but I heard it's extremely painful and it probably would take me out of work for a while because I wouldn't be able to move my arms. And I don't really know that it would be worth it in the end. And I, you know, um, but it really does bother me. And I was looking at him for a reaction, right? And um, my <laughs> My husband looks at me and he goes, really? He goes, the loose skin in your upper arms bothers you? He said, I I would have thought the loose skin around your stomach would bother you more. <laughs> and, I mean, I, you know, my response was like horror. Like my face dropped. I was so angry at him um, because in my mind what I heard was, you know, you're ugly, (laughs) your stomach is ugly, you're unworthy, you're unlovable. You know, like I heard a whole other story behind that. And actually what my husband was saying 
was exactly what he said. I can't imagine that the loose skin on your arms bothers you. I would have thought your stomach would bother you more. And so, you know, what I've come to find out from this is that, um, well, (laughs) going to my husband for reassurance about my physical imperfections, there is nothing that man can safely say. You know, if he tells me how to make improvements, like I interpret this as though he's saying I'm ugly, right? But if he disagrees with my self-criticisms, he actually is going to now have to hear me go on and on and on. And I'd be like endlessly hijacking the conversation with the most self-centered, boring topic. I mean, you know, like really how long can one stand hearing about someone's loose skin? Um, I think it's actually torturous for him, you know. So what I found out is that – no human power, right? Like no reassurance from an outside source. Even the man that, by the way, he loves me. We've been together for over, you know, we've been married over 25 years. We have a lovely life together, a beautiful marriage together. He cannot make me feel better about my body, right? Step one, I am powerless to how I feel about my body. Um, And for me, this meant that right away, I'm going to have to accept my body as being exactly how it was, how it is in this very moment on this exact day. And, you know, that's more challenging in early recovery because, you know, let's face it, many of us come here because our bodies are wearing the damage of this disease. That's what brought me here. You know, I came here because morbid obesity was crushing me, but really... I returned and threw myself into the steps because the mental torture of wanting to stop eating and being unable to stop, no matter what the consequences my body was enduring, that was what was totally crushing. Um, And at that point, you know, I decided that I was no longer here to get thin, but I was here to get well. And if I achieved a normal body size, that would be welcomed. But for me, at the end, I just wanted the panic attacks to stop. You know, like that's what was happening to me at the end of my eating career. I ate um, because I was filled with anxiety and panic, and it seemed like the only thing that would quiet it for a moment was food in my mouth, and it stopped working. And I just wanted the panic attacks to stop, and I couldn't. You know, I couldn't do it while I was eating, and I couldn't do it while I wasn't eating, right? And that's the point I came. So if you admit you're powerless over food, you decide that you're going to accept someone else's guidance with your food, right? You know, for me, it meant like a nutritionist, and it meant like a food plan, and it meant a scale, a food scale. That's how I decided, right, that I was going to accept guidance. And for me, the realization that I was powerless over the way I felt about my body and actually over the physical condition of my body. You know, I knew that eating in a healthy and abstinent way would only be a benefit to my body, but there's likely going to be some aspects about my body that might be permanently scarred as a result of this disease, you know. Um, And I believed that the steps would help me become someone who could live and deal with my physical imperfections. You know, I also knew... 
um, I was told that it would solve all my problems, right? So, okay, God and these steps can solve all my problems. And, you know, all my life I had a preoccupation with my weight, and I needed to admit that it was an unmanageable problem for me. And, you know, I look at pictures of myself when I was young, and I, I remember as a kid being so sure growing up that I was fat. I just always, always believed myself to be fat. Um, but when I look at my pictures, they don't really show that. It doesn't really show that until the last couple of years of high school. So I've had a faulty perception my entire life. This has been an unmanageable problem for as long as I remember. I remember feeling big. You know, in second grade, I remembered feeling large. Um, and yet I, I wasn't, you know, and I've met so many compulsive overeaters who have had that same experience that, you know, I guess they call it, the, the name is body dysmorphia. I don't know if there's a, med, you know, if that's a medical term, but it's a term I've heard thrown around. So it seems to be common having this um, unmanageable view of, of our own bodies and being very aware of our physical forms, whereas I'm a second grade teacher, and most, I don't see most second grade students thinking about their bodies. They just don't seem to have that that kind of self thought. Um, you know, so part of my addiction was the preoccupation with schemes, plans, and quick fixes to manipulate how my body looked. And you know, for me, if it sounded ridiculous and was expensive then somehow, as smart as I am in other respects, I would throw intelligence out the window. Um, and I lived my life always saying to myself, someday when I'm thin, I'll. Like, that was the statement in my head. Someday when I'm thin, I'll. Um, and there was like a whole host of things that I was reserving my right to do to the day I looked a certain way. And step one for me means forget someday. Forget it live today in the body I'm living with and actually start living and stop staring out the window watching life go by. Like that's step one. Um, Bill's story on page 13 to 14, um, and I love, you know, Leah had read this in the, in the intro. This is belief in the power of God plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. Simple but not easy, a price had to be paid. It meant destruction of self-centeredness. I must turn in all things to the Father of light who presides over us all. So, you know, step two, I came to believe that God could restore me to sanity. And this means that I believe God can and will remove the preoccupation I have about my appearance, my weight, and my attractiveness, because that's insane. Um, and that I was willing to even see that what needed to be changed wasn't necessarily my body, but the constant thinking about my body. Um, because what could be more self-centered than the constant thinking about the image of my body, not the usefulness of my body, not the purpose of my body, but the appearance of my body. I, I wasn't thinking about how I could be useful to others, 
that wasn't the someday when I'm thin I'll vision. It wasn't like someday when I'm thin I'll have more energy to help other people in the world. No, <laughs> that wasn't it at all. You know, I was busy comparing myself up against other people, right? And it's insanity to consume the amounts of food I consumed and want it to look like I ate healthy, right? Like I said, I wanted to be able to eat like an animal and look like a model. There's something quite insane about that. Um, in How It Works on page 61, it says, our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining about the sad state of the nation. When I read that, what it makes me think of is that this retired businessman has the wonderful benefit of, one, being retired, right, and lulling in the Florida sunshine during the winter, right? So what does that mean for me? I have a body that is functioning precisely as it's designed to function. And rather than enjoy the sunshine of my healthy physical form, I'm grumbling about the imperfections of the outward image. And to me, that's totally ungrateful. That's like a complete lack of gratitude for the, for the ability that I have, right, of this body that functions. Um, so step three <clears throat> means that I gave my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand him. And in, <clears throat> in how it works, page 63, it says, um, when we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. We had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs, and more and more we became interested in seeing what we can contribute to life. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We were reborn. So, okay, so God, right, you are the boss. <laughs> That's what that paragraph means. You're the boss, and I want to be on your team. I want to serve God, right, and I'm willing to give God my thoughts and my desires so that I think what God would have me think and that I would want what God would have me want. Like, that's to me what that paragraph means, that I, I don't want what I want anymore. I now want what God wants me to want. I don't want to think anymore what I think. I want to think what God would have me think. And so if I break this down and I can really see how taking a true third step can apply to body image, well, if God is my employer and he provides what I need, right, I need this physical form as the vehicle to house my earthbound soul. Like, that's what it's for, right? And I can assume that this is going to be the case until my earthly work is done, right? I, I understand that life is here and now, and it's finite. Like, it's temporary. <laughs> but um, 
but I believe that my soul is not, you know, and that's just a belief that I have that um, if I really trust God entirely with my body, then its purpose is to do what this employer wants me to do while I'm here. So when I really turn my body over to God, I become less interested in my little plans and designs, you know, the little insignificant plans for flat abs, right, and cellulite-free legs. It seems very small compared to being on Team God because <laughs> I can't imagine, I can't fathom for a moment that a requirement for being on his team is having a better body, like having a body that looks like it's airbrushed. Um, we should want our bodies, I should want my body to be strong enough, actually strong enough, healthy enough, good enough to be able to contribute to life. So for me, you know, I want my body to be able to move me so I can get, you know, so I can get on the floor with my students, right? I, I, I teach second grade. I've shared that like many, many times here. And I want to be able to keep up to have the stamina and the strength to keep up with 28 second graders. I want to have enough energy to get me through the day, to be able to be as bright and sunny and, and enthusiastic and able to move with them at the end of the day as I am first thing in the morning. And, you know, one of the things that I, I know that I want my body to be able to do and that it is able to do is I can get on the floor because I, I like to read and work in small groups with kids on the floor, and I need to be able to get up quickly <laughs> to run across the room when someone's having a problem. And thankfully, my body's able to do that for me. And none of that requires, you know, arms that aren't jiggly. It's okay that my arms are jiggly. Um, I need to be strong enough and fit enough to help my mom with her walker. Right? I need to be able to pick up her walker and put it in the trunk of my car and be able to pull it out and unfold it and help her. Right? Um, I need to be fit enough to pitch in around the house. You know, um, the un, you know, the very, um, oh gosh, uh, you know, worldly, <laughs> beneath me jobs like vacuuming. I'm making a joke. Vacuuming and yard work and cleaning the toilets and. You know, all the chores to keep my family happy and well. Um, and again, none of that requires physical, you know, none of that requires physical perfection. Um, but yes, I want my physical form to be a message as well. That's the truth. I want my body, because I believe that my work, you know, that God's assigned me is to help other compulsive overeaters. I do believe that, you know, everybody is given an assignment in this world, and there's lots of things in the world that I see that are wrong, um, and most of them are outside my ability to do much about except prayer, except there is some things that I can do to be really helpful with, and I believe that's to carry the message. So I want my body to reflect the image of someone who's been abstinent for actually Tuesday, it's going to be nine years of entire abstinence, um, and I want my body to look like that. So I want to be a healthy weight. I think that's a reasonable goal. I am a healthy, normal body weight. I want my body to look as attractive as possible so that my image is one that says, here's a person that's been restored to health. 
You know, here's a person that seems happy, joyous, and free. I want a body that serves me, but I don't want to serve my body. And if I'm contributing to life, I feel peaceful and purposeful, and I can face life successfully. And this is true rebirth for me. This has been a true rebirth for me. And step four says we made a searching and fearless moral inventory. And in How It Works on page 64, it says a business which takes no regular inventory usually goes broke. Taking a commercial inventory is a fact-finding and a fact-facing process. It is an effort to discover the truth about the stock in trade. One object is to disclose damaged or unsaleable goods, to get rid of them promptly and without regret. If the owner of the business is to be successful, he cannot fool himself about values. So what's the stock in trade here? Well, it's me. It's myself. I'm the product this business is looking at. You know, and the truth is that being consumed with how my body looks is not a very useful activity of this, bo- of this business. It truly has no value to the operation of my business. <laughs> Physical perfection is an unnecessary endeavor. It does not improve how I function. In fact, my experience with obsessive thoughts about my body have driven me to alcoholic food behaviors and have always backfired anyway. Um, you know, what it has driven me to do is at one point I, you know, exercised in a way that I broke my foot. And then, you know, the painful consequence of of breaking my foot, I ate, you know, so it didn't work. It backfired. And we did exactly, it says here, we did exactly the same thing with our lives. We took stock honestly. First, we searched out the flaws in our makeup, which caused our failure. Being convinced that self manifested in various ways was what had defeated us. We considered its common manifestations. So if the image of my body is consuming all my attention and much of my time, then I have a defect here, and it's self-centered vanity. And I know that there are, you know, there's plenty of body image workshops um, and I think, you know, when I when Leia asked me to speak, well, I mentioned a topic to her, and she asked me to speak. Um, I was I was imagining she was probably worried, like, what in the world? Why would she talk about body image? We're 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 so much above that here, right? We really do good spiritual work. Well, you know, there's plenty of body image workshops that try to help the participants start thinking better thoughts about their bodies, and they come at this from a very different angle from the one I like to consider. That is not the position that I'm taking here. I don't believe that my solution is going to be to help anybody have better thoughts about their bodies, you know. And um, perhaps my problem is not that I think too little of my body, but perhaps it's that I'm thinking about my body way too much, right? Um, Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. From it stems all forms of spiritual disease, for we have not only been not for we have been not only mentally and physically ill, we've been spiritually sick. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. So resentment towards my imperfect physical form 
is spiritually sick. Unrealistic and unobtainable wishes for my physical appearance contributed to my, you know, why bother attitude. That was what I I would wind up just saying, like, why bother? Um, I seem to miss the actual purpose of a body, right? On page 66, it says, it is plain that a life which includes deep resentment leads only to futility and unhappiness. To the precise extent that we permit these, do we squander the hours that might have been worthwhile? I was wasting the time I had with a perfectly functioning body. The time that I had um, with a body that was working, I was wasting it. I was squandering it. And it then goes on to say, but with the alcoholic whose hope is the maintenance and growth of a spiritual experience, right? I'm here to grow spiritually, to have a spiritual experience. This business of resentment is infinitely grave. We found that it is fatal, for when harboring such feelings, we shut ourselves off from the sunlight of the spirit. The insanity of the alcohol returns and we drink again. And with us, to drink is to die. So continuing to resent our own bodies you know, continuing to resent my body is choosing to shut myself off from the sunlight of the spirit. And it really, you know, here it's like used as a as a metaphor, right? As this beautiful idea of the sunlight of the spirit being God and then I'm shutting myself off from God. But it actually makes me think of all the times that I avoided being outside on a gorgeous sunny day because I didn't like how I looked in a bathing suit, you know, and how that kind of living or non-living was intolerable, and I couldn't tolerate it unless I ate heaping bowls of ice cream, right? That's what it meant for me, to shut myself off, to stay inside and eat. So what do we do? Well, it says we turn back to the list, for it held the key to the future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. Well, what's the new angle that I need to look at this with? Right? How am I supposed to look at my body now? Gratitude, an angle, a position of gratitude. So I, I think about it like this. I'm, I am here right today with this vehicle that God created to transport myself around while I'm here on earth. Like I think about it like a car. God gave me this car to house my you know, earthbound soul, and I'm driving it around to do the, the work I'm supposed to do. And what I did with this gift, this car, was I treated it like crap, right? I filled it with the worst fuel. Um, I, you know, I got lots of dings on the doors. I parked it in horrible neighborhoods. I treated it like garbage, never put oil in it, didn't take it for maintenance. Um, I ran it to the ground, you know. And then I gave it a car wash, and I wanted it to look like a Porsche, like, that's what I did. I started treating it just a little bit better, and I wanted this vehicle to now resemble, you know, a gorgeous um, Porsche, right? And instead, you know, I should thank God all day long every time my body functions. You know, when I'm capable of digesting the food that I eat, like actually digesting food, I should say thank you, God, Right? Um, when I don't feel my heart pounding in my ears, like I have not, you know, I used to lay in bed at night and I could hear my pulse in my ears. 
I would be in a resting state, and I would feel my heart pounding. I haven't felt that in years. You know, and so when I lay in bed at night, I should be thanking God that I don't hear my ears pounding. You know, when I run up the stairs because I forgot something, like I'm about to leave for work, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, I run up the stairs and I can run back down, I should be like, thank you, God, because those stairs used to be Mount Everest for me. You know, when I can sit in a chair and not worry that my bottom won't fit, I, I don't worry that my bottom doesn't fit in a chair. or And I don't worry that the chair is going to break. I used to break chairs. You know, when I can fit in a booth in a restaurant, I mean, I would never be able to fit in a booth in a restaurant or in a theater seat. All those things. I have to take a position of gratitude. How dare I be anything other than truly overwhelmed with gratitude? Um, on page 68, it says, perhaps there is a better way. We think so, for we are now on a different basis, the basis of trusting and relying upon God. We trust infinite God rather than our finite selves. We are in the world to play the role he assigns, just to the extent that we do as we think he would have us and humbly rely on him, does he enable us to match calamity with serenity. You know, and so my directions tell me that I'm to trust God with my physical form. Okay, yes, I'm abstinent. Yes, I'm entirely abstinent. Yes, I'm supposed to be active. Yeah, I am active. My assignment is to play the role he assigns. And right now, that's the role of a 54-year-old wife, mother, daughter, teacher, um, not a swimsuit model. That's not the role that I was assigned. And as I trust God with all matters, then anything that comes my way, I can still be serene and peaceful, which to me has been demonstrated by sponsors that I've had and fellows that I have, um, you know, relationships with that have experienced illness, you know, that their own bodies have actually been sick at times, Um, you know, people that I know in this program that have had illness, disease, loss, and challenges. And those that have remained recovered all humbly rely on God. We never apologize to anyone for depending upon our Creator. We can laugh at those who think spirituality the way of weakness. Paradoxically, it is the way of strength. The verdict of the ages is that faith means courage. All men of faith have courage. They trust their God. We never apologize for God. Instead, we let him demonstrate through us what he can do. We ask him to remove our fear and direct our attention to what he would have us be. And once again, we commence to outgrow fear. So fear of what? Right? Fear of not being perfect, fear of my body not even fear of my body not always being healthy and strong. And I never apologize for my dependence on God. Never. <laughs> when asked anything, anything about my significant weight loss, or more now I get asked about my calm demeanor, like you're so calm. Um, I do my best to give all glory to God. <laughs> you know, God is the hero of my story. 
Um, am I perfect? Of course I'm not. You know, I have I have times of vanity. Trust me. You know, like I can get dressed in the morning and there's a hundred outfits thrown on the floor, right? Um, yeah, I want to present an image. I can be vain and I want to present an image, but more and more. I'm coming to a place where I feel love for my physical form. And when I am thinking too much about myself, I do what we're directed to do. I think of others and how I can best meet their needs. Um, And into action on page 76, uh, step six and seven says, are we now ready to let God remove from us all the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us be willing. And when ready, we say something like this, My Creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me, good and bad. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. Amen. So obsessive thoughts about one's body diminishes their usefulness. As I made peace with my body, I started to become an active participant in my life um, and my family's lives. My body had a purpose, right? In fact, steps eight and nine drill this point home. On page 77, it says, our real purpose is to fit ourselves to be of maximum service to God and the people about us. And um, on page 416, it says, acceptance was the answer. Um, And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it's supposed to be at this moment. So, You know, I would say even as a person in the process of losing weight, they are best to accept their physical form exactly as it is at this precise moment in time. Clinging to the thought that God is capable of handing out our specific assignments and that he knows the exact size and shape we need to be in order to execute this plan. So my physical transformation, it was slow. It was slower than it had been in the past. Like when I was younger, you know, I remember I would go on a diet and I would lose the weight. Like in months, like a short amount of time, I would be thin. Um, And um, that did not happen this time. It seemed like it took longer. Um, And part of what I learned to abstain from was not just my binge foods, but I abstained from diets and schemes right? No cutting corners on my food plan because my nutritionist, you know, says I need X number of, you know, grams, whatever proteins, I need X number of fats. And in my schemes and, and, you know, diets, I know the calorie count of everything. And I think if I shave off a little bit, I can speed up my weight loss. Mm -mm. That's not abstinent behavior. And so I abstain from that as well as binge foods, right? Alcoholic foods, alcoholic food behaviors. Um, Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. So slow weight loss for me was not a mistake. That wasn't a mistake. My physical form and all its imperfections 
or so I believe their imperfections. They're not a mistake either. You know, I think I needed to focus. For me, I believe God had a plan why he kept it real slow. I think I needed a little humility, and I needed time. I needed time to recover. And I usually hope when I work with someone that they get recovered before they reach their quote-unquote goal weight. I think it's better to get recovered first. Um, I think I needed to focus on my recovery and not my body. And slow weight loss kept me truly humble and open to learning. Um, Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as what needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. So, you know, when you are over a certain weight, it, it does it takes forever for people to notice the weight loss. Um, and I would often go to events and functions hoping that someone would say something. And when they didn't comment on my weight loss, I would feel bad. You know, if people were paying too much attention to my weight loss, and then I would feel uncomfortable. They didn't praise me the right way, you know. So I was like, I either they didn't say anything or they didn't say it the right way. And, you know, I had a coworker, um, I still have her, who used to comment all the time. She would say in this very melodramatic way, you know, when I was when I was losing weight still, she would say, oh, my God, you know, in a big, loud voice, oh, my God, you lost so much weight. You know, how many pounds have you lost? It must be well over 100. And then she would say this one line that would, like, burn me up. (laughs) She would say, keep it up. (laughs) And so every time, you know, it was like, you're not good enough, was what I heard. And every time I was going to be where she was, I would start worrying about how she would comment. And and I think about this. I mean, that's self-centered thinking. That's self. That's total self-centered fear. I was showing up looking for what I could get out of the occasion. Basically, strokes of praise, strokes of praise the way that I liked it. And here's what happens, you know, when you show up with this, I, you know, one of my meditations calls this behavior um, lack of gratitude, showing up with an empty begging bowl of wants, right? So I show up with this empty begging bowl of wants, it can't get filled, you know. Um, and like, by the way, it's been years since anyone has said anything about my weight loss. It's a, it's like a non-issue today. Nobody really cares. Nobody cares anymore. Um, and I also know that my job is not to get what I can from the occasion, but rather to see what we can bring to each occasion. And for me, before any event, especially where there's food that's going to be there, I, I meditate. And I ask God to help me find who I'm supposed to help that day. And when I set out with the assignment to be of service, I started to feel better. You know, uh, self-esteem doesn't come from looking good, but truly from doing good. You know, esteemable acts, that's what fills us up with feelings of self-worth. So what needs to be changed about me most of all was my attitude about my body, that it is a gift that God gave me so that I can do what he has assigned me to do. And today, the answer to feeling better about my body is to stop sitting around thinking about my body. (laughs) 
You know, Shakespeare said all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. He forgot to mention that I was the chief critic. I was always able to see the flaw in every person, in every situation. And I was always glad to point it out because I knew you wanted perfection just as I did. And acceptance has taught me that there is a bit of good in the worst of us and a bit of bad in the best of us, but we are all children of God, and we each have a right to be here. When I complain about me or about you, I am complaining about God's handiwork. I am saying that I know better than God. So if I complain about my body and its parts that I don't like, I'm complaining about God's handiwork, right? God created this body, and I'm complaining about it. And I've known, you know, for me, I've known for a long time that I feel better when I exercise. Um, And I've also been resistant, you know, to exercise. And I've used exercise in the past to try to get my body to look better. I didn't exercise for the right reasons. It was hard for me to sustain healthy exercise. You know, like I either broke my foot doing it or I did nothing. And over time, what I've discovered is that my purpose for exercising is to take the best possible care of the miraculous gift of my body, all of its incredible moving parts. So I try to eat the healthiest foods. You know, I eat really healthy. um, And I move to take care of this body, you know, the one that I abused and shamed and showed no gratitude for, I exercise in ways that that actually bring me joy, you know, dancing, hiking, walking, mowing the lawn, kayak, and swimming, you know. I love, love to swim. Um, And here's how I know that I've been transformed. I don't care what I look like while exercising. I don't obsess in a bathing suit, you know. I don't, I'm, I'm not, I'm not after any visible physical improvements in my body. That's not why I exercise. You know, I'm not exercising so that my cellulite goes away. I'm not, you know, exercising for my loose skin to to do anything different. Um, I'm pretty sure it's here to stay, you know. But I dance because I'm happy, joyous, and free. And I love, I love, love, love to dance. I, I had an opportunity at the OA birthday party. I danced the whole night with friends who, like me, are happy in our release. And we danced. I felt I danced to be of service for the people, for myself, because at one time I would sit on the sidelines and watch. Um, And I swim today because it feels amazing. My father used to love to swim. My father's no longer here on earth. My father swam, you know, just days before he died, you know, hardly able to move, but he loved the water. And I feel a connection to my dad when I get in the water. I think I'm showing appreciation, gratitude for my life. I can feel my breathing improve. My thinking feels sharper. It feels like I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing in that moment. You know, I kayak today because I love to glide across the water, to feel the sunlight on my face, um, that I can fit inside my kayak easily. Um that I can lift it and put it on my car and take it down and launch it. Um, And I love to glide in the water and observe all the beauty of nature. I mow the lawn today because I can. (laughs) I can mow the lawn. I have the stamina 
the desire and the grass that needs cutting. And I have a husband who loves having a wife who actually likes cutting the grass much more than, you know, a wife that talks about her jiggly arms. He's much happier to see me push the mower and talk nothing about my arms and to be a loving service, you know. Am I perfect? Uh, No. (laughs) Do I ever start to get consumed with selfish thoughts of vanity? Uh, Yeah, of course I am. I'm imperfect. But I do what the text directs, (laughs) right? Our text tells us, confess it to God and to another. I make amends when I need to, and then I turn my thoughts to someone I can help. And what I find is it works. It really works. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Melissa, for this compelling, beautiful, and helpful presentation this morning. Another gem for the archives. Much appreciated. Thank you so very much. The share ID for today's presentation, 19,977. That's 19977. Melissa's contact information will be given at the conclusion of the recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. We will now transition to question-answer segment. You can pose a question to Melissa, questions only, please, uh, by pressing star 1 to unmute. I need your name, including the first letter of your last name. Susan C. Margaret D. Margaret D. Barbara E. Gotcha, Barbara. Anyone else? Surrey C. Surrey C. All right, well, let's get started with these four. I have Susan C., Margaret D., Barbara E., Surrey C. Jessica C. Hi, this is Susan C. from Pennsylvania. And, and we'll, yes, one moment, and we'll add Jessica C. as well. Go ahead, Susan. Thank you. Question. Thank you. Thank you. Um, no, just a comment just um, about image, body image. It was interesting because... Um, questions. Are we taking questions now? Correct, correct. Thank you so much. Please pose a question if you wish to do so. No, I can't think of a question right now. Glad Hi. you're here. Thank you. Thanks, Susan. Margaret D., your turn. Um, hey, this is Margaret D. in Georgia. Thank you. Melissa, always, always a gift. Always a gift. Um, my question is, you talked about periods of time when you were obsessed with, you know, the infamous jiggly arms or whatever, did you ever have a time when you couldn't tell what you look like? Um, You know, for me, like sometimes I could look in the mirror and then the second I don't look at the mirror, I have no clue. Have you ever gone through anything like that? And if so, how did you get back on track, so to speak. Yeah, I mean, I think we never know what we look like. I don't know what I... I mean, it's all perception, right? I think... um, um, 
And I, I think the real point is that, um, you know, when I was, well, I would say when I was really in the grip of the illness, I didn't really, I just looked at my face, right? I would never look down. I didn't really look in the mirror much at that point anyway. Um, I think sometimes I'm not sure what I look like. I don't have, you know, um, I don't have a sense because I said something once to somebody about, I made like an offhand comment about, well, I'm not as thin as so-and-so or, you know, that wouldn't fit her. I'm much bigger than she is. And someone had said to me, you really have no clue what you look like um, because I apparently I was wrong. They said you actually are that, that same size. And, um, and I, But I think it doesn't, I think the point is it doesn't matter because it neither of which has anything to do with my usefulness, whether I'm the same size as someone else or not, or whether my clothes would fit her or not. Like, it's sort of irrelevant to the work that God would have me do. I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's really what I sort of landed on, that it just doesn't seem to matter as much as I thought it did. I hope that, hope that helps. So it's like being on the beach in Florida, yeah. moaning about the, okay, all righty. Thank you, yeah. ma'am. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you, Margaret D., for your question. Barbara E., your turn. Ah, Melissa, I could listen to you read the obituaries. That was indeed a saver, and I love the quotes that you used from the big book, and thank you, um, Leah, too. My question is very simple. When you said to your husband way back when about your jiggly arms, and he said to you, well, what about your jiggly stomach? I wanted to know how you reacted because I would re- would have reacted with something harsh, angry, negative, because at that time I wasn't recovered and I didn't, I wouldn't have wanted to hear about the other parts of my body that he thought were jiggly and wiggly. And after ha- having lost a hundred of pounds over and over, my body does look like an English muffin, but I'm grateful for it. So I'd like to hear your how you responded to your husband at that time before perhaps yeah. recovery. Yes, absolutely. Barbara, you make me laugh. <laughs> First, I don't want to read the obituary, though. Thank you. I'm going to skip that today. Um, yeah, I mean, how did I react? Probably, I, you know, I used to be um, a temper tantrum thrower. You know, I was very sweet and smiley on the outside, and I would throw major tantrums. I would, like, scream and yell and cry and pout, and I I think I did something like that. I think I said, like, you hate me, or or you see I'm ugly, and and he probably had to spend, you know, uh, the greater part of the day reassuring me that he did, in fact, love me, that I was beautiful, and blah, you know, blah, 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 an empty begging bowl of wands. He could not fill it um and and today like we laugh i mean i think that's a big part of it like he he says oh i wasn't supposed to say that right you know like i mean he's just kind of known for saying things that are (laughs) stupid sometimes um but yeah i had a fit i had a fit like like a hissy fit like a baby yeah thanks pass thank you barbara for your question Cerise. Your turn. 
Hi. Hi. Thank you so much uh, for your share and for speaking about this topic. Um, so my question is actually along the lines of Barbara's. Um, in terms of, like, how did you handle body image in terms of uh, being sexualized or because so many of us deal with um, the weight gain comes up not from female social pressure but from physical social pressure. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, that's a funny thing. I think, um, you know, I think from my perspective, um, I've been in a I've been in a relationship with my husband my all my life. Like this is this is the man that I have a relationship with. So um I I I think in that way I've been sort of insulated. I haven't you know, thankfully, I guess thankfully, um um yeah, I really I can't, you know, and and I know like, you know, there's different theories about when when people put weight on, it came at an adolescent age when I I don't really I don't really have much to share on that. I don't know if it was like the the sexualized pressure of being a teen. Like, I don't know. I think I was just I'm a food addict and I was going to be obese and it was going to, you know, it was going to probably likely happen when it, you know, when it happened. So, um, yeah, I don't really have much to contribute on that, sorry. Thank you, Suri, for your question. Thank you. Je- mm-hmm. Jessica C., your turn. Hi, thank you. This is Jessica C., I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in um, Ontario, Canada. Um, yeah, Melissa, thank you so much for your beautiful share. Um, it's always a gift to hear you share, and I, such a so helpful to um, hear about this topic you know there's so many ways nowadays to alter our image with you know with the whole zoom element where we can bring in lighting and adjusting our settings um, so that we look a certain way Um, you mentioned the my question is you mentioned the importance of presenting an attractive image um, when carrying the message of recovery Um, and it seems like it would become so easy to, when trying to present that attractive image, it would become so easy to slip into self-centeredness um, about body image. Um, I'm wondering if, if how, like, how, could you talk about how you know if you're presenting that image to carry the message if you're doing that? in in a spirit of in the spirit of being of service versus you know trying to look a certain way so that we can get validation absolutely i think it's walking a tightrope i think i you know i lean to one side too much and it seems to write itself back up i yeah i mean look i got a nice ring light for my for my zoom i do and i always put lipstick on before i speak and and can i get like you know, can I get obsessed and, and be vain at times? I can. I mean, luckily for me, I've got, um, and I really feel very strongly that we need, a, a, I need, in order for me to keep a, a relationship with humility, i got to have human people who I can um, confess to. I can't just do it. You know, God, oh, God love those that can just go to God directly. I, I, I try to, but I usually need another person to sort of confess 
to have a true, honest exchange with. And I'm, I'm blessed. I have some real sisters in this program who I can say, I think I'm thinking a bit too much about me. And, um, you know, and they walk me through it. I think that's a mm-hmm. big, you know, like all, like all times I can get, um, my ego can be, you know, uh, a problem, I think. And especially if, like, if you're given an opportunity to speak, I think it's very easy to start um, being more concerned with an image, even speaking, even a, a, a verbal image. Like, I want to sound smart. I want to sound well-versed. I want to sound like I have knowledge. I want to sound, you know, um, and some of that is so that I can be useful, and some of it is so that I can sound smart, so that I can sound, you know, intelligent. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think, Jessica, that's part of uh, the human condition, right, of, of, of um, I'm not, we're not saints, right? Mm. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Jessica C., for your question. We still have time for a few more questions from Melissa this morning. You can do so by pressing... Sarah M. Rod C. Sarah M. Natalie S. Natalie S. Connie T. Jody B. Okay. I have Riska R. I believe it was Sarah M., Larry K., Natalie S. Let's go with that and see where we are at time-wise. Please go ahead, Riska R., with your question. Uh, Hi, I'm Riska R. from Baltimore. Melissa, thank you so much. I related to to everything. Um, Where I get stuck is I look and I say, um, well, those, those people can recover and look like that, you know, and I recover and, you know, I'm at a normal body weight, and my husband says, you know, you do not need to lose any more weight, but yet my stomach sticks out and my thighs are big. And I think I think people are going to think, like recovered people are going to think, well, you're not really abstinent <laughs> if you if you don't look like, you know, X, Y, Z. And I get hung up on, on shame that my body is different. I know that's self-absorption, but I just want to know if you have any thoughts about, you know, that, what recovered people are going to think um, that my body is not the model body, you know. I don't know if that makes sense, but it is what it is. Oh, my goodness. You are, like, speaking my language. I think everybody, Rivka, I'm, like, laughing because you just, like, verbalized my thoughts completely. And not only mine, but sponsees have shared the same things with me, like, you know, I mentioned, like, going to the OA birthday party. I think that was, like, on everybody's fear resentment. You know, many people who I knew who were going to be speaking were like, I don't know, do I look like I'm we, – we're, like, so um, – and meanwhile, like, everybody's sort of looking like the same, right? Like, um, and again, I think the solution is, am I thinking, like, what they're thinking of me? Like, when I'm thinking what you're thinking of me, like, right, what do they say? Like, 99% of the time I'm thinking about myself, and the other time I'm thinking what you're thinking about me. I think it's the same. 
it's the same kind of thing. And um, the real, I mean, the solution is stop thinking what other people are thinking of you because <laughs> I think the funny part is is that they're busy thinking what you're thinking of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that our business really there is to be helpful, like in all things, to be helpful. Um, yeah, thanks. Thanks, Rivka. Thanks. Thank you for your question. Sarah M., your turn. Uh, hello? Yes. Hi. Um, did you call Sarah M.? I was unmuting. Indeed. Go ahead. Okay, thanks. Um, hello, Melissa. You did a beautiful job today. What a blessing for everybody that's mm-hmm. on the line because this is a topic near and dear to the heart for sure. Um you know, I've had a lifetime of just really being in that zone of super self-conscious, always worrying about self-image. Just as a child, as an adult, just can't seem to move beyond it. Um, so my question for you, and again, at events, get real worked up, um, you know, is this dress right, is this right, my makeup, blah, 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 you know, on and on. Is there a daily um, self-talk practice you do with yourself, or do you run it through a quick 10th step just to right-size your mind when you get into that headspace of really getting too self-absorbed about your image? Yeah, I mean, it's the, um, the practicing of the opposite. So it's... Um, so when I start thinking about me, like my prayer and meditation was the same as I did before I spoke here today. Close my eyes and I ask God to please help me be useful. Show me who I'm supposed to help today. Show me who, like, and when I go to events, yeah, of course I want to look nice. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm human. I'm a woman. I want to put my best self forward. Once I'm there, my mission is to find the person who who I believe God is going to put in my path that I'm supposed to help. And those people constantly show up if you show up looking for them. They're there. It might be somebody who's, you know, overweight that you could just, you know, make feel just your presence being warm and compassionate and not judgmental. Could be an older relative who needs help, like, you know, making a tray of food and, and navigating their walker could be like, I've got nieces and nephews who have babies. The best service I do for them is to get on the floor and play with their kids um, or to, to let them sit at the table as long as they like the parents and play with the babies. Um, I show up with not so much thinking about me, and that's what I ask God to help me do in the morning, help me turn my thoughts to whom I'm supposed to be useful for today. I hope that helps. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Sarah M. Next, we have Larry K. Hey, Larry, thanks so much for your service. And um, first, Melissa, um, we have there's parent teacher conferences coming up in March. <laughs> I hope you're getting ready for those. <laughs> I'm ready, Molly. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. That's the, that's fun stuff, right? Okay, okay. not as a question. Got uh, Got a, got a Got to give you a tease you a little bit, but um, so my question is um, with regards you you sponsor people obviously, and you've seen things over the years, and you've experienced things over the years with recovery, what works and what doesn't, and so forth. 
So um, I guess the question is, is what are, just in a general fashion, like what are some of the reasons, that, in your opinion, that people um, do not recover or have, or, or should I say have not recovered yet? What do you see, Melissa, if that makes sense? Yep, yep. Great. I think the number one thing is um, dishonesty in any way. Um, the other thing is, um, you know, my experience was anybody that's trying to fit recovery into their life rather than to build a new life doesn't seem to work. They have to be willing to let go, like let go, let go of everything, create a new life. I think every time somebody's trying to figure out how they're going to be able to do all this, whatever all this is, um, while not letting go of anything that they're currently doing, um, it doesn't seem to work. Yeah. I guess it's the surrender, not surrendering. Thank you, Larry Kay. Next we'll have Natalie S., followed by Connie T., I believe, and Jody B. Go ahead, Natalie S. Thank you so much, and hi, Melissa. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate your, your talk on this topic. And I guess, um, so I, being new to the program, um, I'm at step 11 with my first run through the steps and things like that. And this is a huge issue for me. And I'm wondering if it's worth or if you would direct people to another step four resentment fearless um, based just on body image. So that's my question. Yeah. So I would say if you're at step 11 and you're being consumed with your body, I think part of, you know, you haven't yet done the actual work which is step 12. And I, for myself, nothing so much diminished the resentment towards my body, the the self-negative talk towards my body as getting out there and helping other people. Um, I I don't recommend, like, at that, you know, before you get to step 12, like going back and doing another fourth step. I think that's, I think what you really have to do is push through get through all the steps, start helping other people. Um, that's what I would Okay. Say. Yeah. And if, yeah. If, yeah. if when there were, when you were speaking, like there were specific people, like an old gymnastics coach that I don't know if she's still alive, mm. that all of a sudden a resentment came up, would that be, would you recommend that being like a 10-step with my sponsor? Yeah, I would or? say at this point I would not okay. go back and do a great big fourth step over her. But things are, by the way, yeah. I, for the rest of my life, things crop up. I had a memory yesterday of somebody that I was like, oh, my goodness, I, I owe an amend. I totally <laughs> forgot, and it's been years, but it came. Yeah. And the same thing with some resentment. Some things pop up. Um, this is, we practice this. The rest, we're lear- you learn, you're learning a skill set, and this is, you're okay. going to practice it the rest of your life, right, if, if you want to remain well. You're going to do this yeah. again and again and again. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm Natalie. Thank you. Connie. Connie T., I believe. Yes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. 
Thank you, Leah. Thanks, Melissa, for a great, great talk. I was just wondering, how do you balance self-care with how do you know if it's gone too far? For instance, you know, manicures or pedicures or facials or, you know, doing things that make yourself feel better, but which I think is okay, but then the balance between that and going too far. Um, I have a family that keeps me in check, you know. Um, yeah, I have a family that keeps me. And I have a lot of, um, you know, I have a lot of responsibilities that don't, um, that won't take a back seat to. But I do, listen, I get manicures and I get my hair colored and I, you know, I do I do lots of things for myself as well. Um, and I exercise, um um, but yeah, that's you know my life is full. But I yeah I would I have a family that would say to me, you know, um, uh, what you're going where? Like you know, and and we also have a a specific income for our family. I don't have like billions. Of, I'm a teacher. <laughs> I don't have billions of dollars for 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 extra you know facials and things like that. It's just not part of our budget. So yeah. Thank you, Connie, for your question. Jody B., your turn to pose a question. Jody. Sorry, I thought I was unmuted. Pardon me. Um Melissa, thank you so much for your share. I'm just loving what you're saying about body image. I learned just, I don't know, a, a few a few weeks ago because of someone's share about body image. Uh, my question is, you know, I've been kind of like really applying all that I've been learning from A Vision for You to putting the food down and, you know, having that physical image of just what the food is. But this idea of body image you know, you kind of answered this partially a couple of questions ago, but what? how do I even start to approach the whole program and the steps with notions of body image versus just putting the food down? Does that make sense, my question? Well, I would say, uh, you know, if you're thinking about your body image before you're entirely abstinent, you're like doing it out of order. You're putting the heart because yeah. first things first like i hear what you're saying that this meeting is helping you put the food down i i hear you and i will respectfully say that um it actually takes just a decisive action mm-hmm. <laughs> you know to you just put it down hopefully you have an idea a clear indication of what your alcoholic foods are your alcoholic food behaviors you get a food plan i mean it's pretty I'm going to be a little blunt. It's pretty pretty simplistic. You you, you mm-hmm. find out what you can eat. You find out what you can eat. You get a nutritionist, I believe, a nutritional plan from someone else who knows what you're supposed to weigh, right, because they're the professional. They give you a food plan based on your age, your health, you know, your current weight, what you can and cannot eat, and you follow the food plan, right? And what I would say is when I do those things, and I take the steps, I follow the steps, God will take care of my body. God will 
I believe I believe in God, a God of miracles, right? If I believe God can remove the obsession to eat compulsively, I also believe in a God that can transform my body, you know, the image of my body, the functioning of my body, the form mm. of my body, in agreement with his plan for me today. So I would say, like, first got to get abstinent, you know? Yeah, so it, like, comes after. That's so helpful. Thank you so yes. much. Yes, my pleasure. My pleasure, Jody. Yes, thank you, Jody. Okay, let's take one more. Start one in mute. Elizabeth. Elizabeth, me? You're the one, Elizabeth. You are the one. (laughs) Go right ahead. Am I still? Can you still hear me? I can. Okay, thanks. uh, Thanks so much, Leah. Um, Melissa, what a great talk. I loved the empty begging bowl of wants. Um, Wow. Um, and I love the way you link to the big big book all along your uh, remarks. It's really fantastic. Um, can you share with us if you've ever had the experience of using OA as a diet with group support? That's certainly a big part of my story um, in my uh, 30 years coming in and out of these rooms. Yeah. Thanks. Heck, yeah. When I first came to Overeaters Anonymous, I um, – was in my early 20s, and at that time, I was um, not yet 300 pounds. I was getting close, <laughs> and my life was not what I wanted it to be. I wanted, I was maybe 21. Um, I, my friends were getting married. My friends were getting good jobs. We had just graduated college, and um, I wasn't having any of that. And um, I didn't have, and I wanted a boyfriend. I wanted to get married. I wanted a job to get married, to have babies. I wanted, like, the life. And so I went to Overeaters Anonymous, and I found out about, I got some really good information. I found out about my alcoholic foods. And I found a group of people that were loving and supportive and encouraging, and they they gave me a food plan back then. There was a food plan they gave me. And I followed it, and I leaned on the loving and supportive, encouraging people and I lost, oh, gosh, 130 pounds in, like, record time, just like that. I got thin. I did what thin young people do who don't really buy into the program. I left. I got all the things that I were on my list. I got my husband. I got the job. I got, you know, we moved out. We got married. We did. Um, but I had nothing. I had no spiritual foundation. I had no connection with God. I had a food plan. It didn't work. I, I returned to the food, and I gained everything back. Um, and so, you know, I used to say, like, what I wanted was OA light. I wanted the OA light program, the one where I really didn't have to – I didn't want to have to do what all you people have to do. I just want – give me the food plan. Give me the diet. Let me hang out and get some support. It didn't work. It didn't work. Um, so, yes, I have had that experience. And I would say, you know – if there are people that that works for, um, well, that's great. They're allowed to come to Overeaters Anonymous because the only requirement for membership is desire to eat, you know, desire to stop eating compulsively. But they're not a true alcoholic eater. They're not a true compulsive overeater because someone like that cannot rely on human power. That's not sufficient. We, you must have a spiritual experience. Um, and so, yeah, that was part of my history. Um, it's something that I can speak to and recognize when I see it occurring in other people and try to 
gently caution them what, what I see that they're doing. Um, and uh, thanks for that. I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa. Thank you, Elizabeth, for your question. Thanks to all who posed questions this morning. And, of course, it's always a delight to have you on the line, Melissa. Thank you so much for your time, for this captivating and powerful presentation this morning. I'm sure you helped so many this morning and will continue to do so uh, with this presentation in the archives. Thank you so much. Again, today's presentation, Share ID 19,977. That's 19977. And we will close now from page 164. It's in a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.